Good morning, I'm so pleased to be here again. Uh, I really would have liked to have been with you last week, but unfortunately the government decided to ping me uh, and I've spent some time in isolation. Uh, so thank you, Tim. We did a swap. He should have been doing this sermon and I should have been doing last week's, but thank you, Tim. Uh, and that was an excellent sermon and a good start to this new series from Philippians. So we're on to number two, um, and we find Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, I guess that's how I felt last week when I couldn't go outside the gates of the house. Um, it was such a relief to be able to get out. So Paul's in prison in Rome, and he writes a letter to encourage the church he planted 10 years before. Think of it, Paul's writing a letter from inside prison. And he's encouraging those outside of prison. The people of that day needed encouragement because persecution was becoming an everyday part of life. But we need encouragement too. Perhaps we do not face the persecution that the early church faced, or perhaps the church in China or Iran faces these days. But as individuals, we certainly face times of testing and trial. If I'm honest, I feel like this last week for me has been a time of testing and trial and uh, rains me seeing how I come out of it at the end. This letter Philippians is God's instructions to us about how to live during hard times, during tough times. You know, the, the Bible is so good, isn't it? It, it has a lot of history a lot of stories, but at the same time, it has some really good, clear guidance on how we should live our lives. And, and last week, Tom remind, uh, sorry, Tim reminded us uh, about how to learning to live as if God is in control, because God is in control, isn't he? Yeah, of course he is. And this week, we turn our attention to chapter two, and discover that Jesus is our model for living in troubled times. If we're wondering how we're going to live our lives, well, we just need to turn to Jesus <coughs> Excuse me, and see that he is a model. And his model is not only praiseworthy or notable, it's accessible to us. It's something we can look at and we can replicate in our own lives. Paul challenges us in Philippians to live up to the example that Jesus set. And you know, we can do it. Here's Philippians, the first bit we're going to look at. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I heard a story the other day of a young couple who'd moved into a new house. And on a morning when they got out of bed, they had their breakfast and sat and looked out of their dining room window and they could see across to their neighbor's garden. And every morning as they got up, the woman would say to the husband, look, that woman over there, she doesn't know how to do our washing properly. It isn't even clean. 
It just looks as dirty as when she started washing it. And the husband didn't say anything. And the next morning they'd get up and they'd look out the window and the, the woman would say, look, that washing's no better. I think I'd better go and tell her how to do our washing. And the husband didn't say anything. And on the last day, on the Friday, they got up and they looked out of the window and the woman said, look, there's a difference. Somebody must have told that woman how to do her washing. She needed to be told and somebody must have told her how to do it. Her washing's spotless now. And the husband just looked and he said, yep, yeah, it is spotless now, isn't it? Do you know why that is? And the wife said, I don't know. She said, he said, because earlier this morning, I got up and cleaned our windows. And that's a lovely little illustration of how sometimes we can be looking at other people's lives through our own lenses, but we need to make sure that our lenses are right. The scripture tells us in those verses that we looked at, not just to think about our own well-being, but that we look after the well-being of others. You might say, well, the, the lady in that story was considering the well-being of others. She was going to go and tell her how to wash her, do her washing. Not sure how well that would have been received. But we learn from the gospel that when Jesus was on the cross, he focused on the Father's will and was concerned about the standing of those who persecuted him. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Or even before that terrible day on the cross, Jesus placed his focus on the Father's will and was constantly reconciling people to God. What an example. In fact, whether in times of persecution or in times of safety and security, there is no simply better way than to reflect Jesus Christ by caring for others. Uh, many years ago, and, and Colin, you will remember this, uh, when we worked at BOC, they were very good at sending people away on training. And I went away and learned how to weld and learned all sorts of things. But one day they decided to send us away on a tax sales training. Now, this was an expensive training course in London. Uh, and we had to go down and listen to this guy telling us how to communicate with our customers. And, and, and I don't remember a lot about this whole day seminar, but I do remember one thing. And the, what they said was, what he said was, when you go in to see someone, that person isn't really interested in you. They're not really interested in how many kids you've got. They're not really interested in where you live. Uh, sometimes they're interested in which football team you support, perhaps. But uh, they're not really interested in you. What they're interested in is themselves and their situation, their company and what they're doing. And so the tax sales trainer said, when you go in, you know, it's not there to promote yourself. You're there to find out about this person and then to find out how you can help that person with whatever, whatever commercial means you need to do. And that's kind of stuck with me. I, I've always tried with every conversation um, 
inevitable, inevitably you start talking about yourself. And I've always tried to be aware of that. I don't always succeed because if someone starts talking about gardening or something I'm really invested in, I'm very easily distracted and, and go off at a tangent. But when we're looking at other people, when we're meeting other people, we need to be aware of who they are. In, uh, in counselling training, the first many, many weeks of training you spend is about um, getting alongside. There's learning, listening skills and finding out what the person's actually saying. So my question this morning too is, how interested are you in other people? Are you interested enough just to want to tell them your story? Are you interested enough to find out their story and what's going on with them? And do we need to think about our conversations so that people do feel that they're listened to? Now we move on to Philippians 5 to 11. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider himself equal with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the honour, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This was a great example and, and, and we hear one of the great songs of the early church. Scholars believe that this passage, that verses I just read there, 5 to 11, were actually a worship song sung by the first followers of Jesus. It's a song filled with challenge and wisdom for us. Those six verses break down into three sections. First, he made himself nothing. We're to make ourselves nothing. We're to make ourselves, we're to humble ourselves. Secondly, he humbled himself. And third, God exalted him. Another verse says, exalted him, and now he sits on the right hand of God. Another story, little Philip was spending the weekend with his grandmother after a particularly trying week at school. His grandmother decided to take him to the park on Saturday morning. It been snowing all night and everything was beautiful. His grandmother commented, doesn't it look like an artist painted this scenery? Did you know that Jesus painted this just for you? Yes, replied Philip. God did it and he did it left-handed. This confused his grandmother, so he asked him, what makes you say that God did this with his left hand? Well, Philip said, we learned at Sunday school last week 
that Jesus sits on the right hand of God's right hand. Truthful children. This early hymn is like the steps downward into humility. Jesus is our example. We might think that when God came to earth, he would demand worship from everyone. But no, when God came to earth, he made himself nothing. He became like an ordinary man. He humbled himself, living a life of service, and then humbled himself even until death and beyond humility. Jesus suffered the kind of death filled with shame. Here in Philippians, the ancient worship song does not leave Jesus in the grave. We see that God the Father exalted Jesus and raised him to life. Indeed, the Father raised him high above every other name. Now that's a song worth singing, isn't it? That our Saviour Jesus, his name is high. It's not a swear word. It's his name is high above every name. And one day, people perhaps who have blasphemed will come to realize the truth of the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is our example. Paul tells the church in Philippi to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And my third story, his name is Tom. He has wild hair. He wears a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans and flip-flops. This was literally his wardrobe for his four years at university. He is brilliant, kind of odd in his worldview and perspective, but he's very, very bright. He became a Christian during his junior year of school when a fellow student shared her faith with him. Across the street from the school campus is a modern conservative and active church. They work hard to develop ministries to the students, but that process is constantly changing and a challenge. One Sunday, Tom decides to go and visit the church. He walks in with no shoes. He has his jeans, his t-shirt and wild hair. The service has just started, so Tom starts down an aisle looking for a seat. Church is pretty full, and Tom doesn't want to invade anyone's territory. As he makes his way up the aisle, people are looking a bit uncomfortable, but no one says anything. Tom gets closer and closer to the front, and then rather than bother anyone, he just squats down on the carpet in front of the first row of chairs and makes himself comfortable. Because this is so out of the norm, people who'd see Tom sitting up front on the floor become uncomfortable. About the time Tom gets settled in, the pastor realises that one of the leaders who was sitting towards the back of the hall has got up from his seat and is making his way 
towards the front, specifically towards Tom. Now, he's a godly man, very dignified and respected, wearing a suit and, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> wearing a suit and a, and a tie. And he walks with his cane, his silver hair neatly combed, his Bible under his arm. And you can't blame him for what he is about to do. How can you expect a man of his age and of his background to understand some barefoot teenage kid with long hair, blue jeans and a t-shirt who's walked in and thinks it's somehow acceptable to sit on the floor in front of everyone? It takes what seems a long time for the leader to reach the front where Tom is seated. The church completely silent except for the whispers in the congregation. All eyes are focused on the front. Everyone is glad this one senior adult leader has taken matters into his own hands. Even the pastor is frozen in the moment with mixed emotions and thoughts running through his mind and heart. Then suddenly God showed up. When the elderly leader gets to where Tom is seated, he very carefully and slowly kneels down beside Tom. He lays his cane and his Bible on the floor and sits down to worship beside Tom so he won't be sitting alone. Everyone chokes up with emotion. The leader doesn't say a word. He just gently reaches out his hand to shake Tom's. Although in that moment, nothing is said, much is communicated. When the pastor is able to speak, he simply says, what I am about to preach, you will never remember. What you have seen, you will never forget. The Apostle Paul says that we should have the same humility of heart and posture as Jesus our Lord. Indeed, this message is repeated in many places in Scripture. Here's just one example. Four times the Bible says, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. You see, after leading Philippian, after leading the Philippians in this beautiful worship song, the Apostle Paul brings a practical word for them and for us. Listen to this, friends, and see what you think. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you and will and will and who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his purpose. You might think these words are strange. We are saved by grace through faith, and yet Paul says we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. 
what Paul's actually saying is, you've received the gift of salvation. Work that out, what it means in your life. And what it means in your life is that you have to respond in a different way. You have to imitate the life of Christ. We've received that gift and how we deal with that gift and how we show the world that gift is so important. And then he continues to say, do everything. This is so important to us this morning. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars in the sky. Wow, isn't that amazing? Then you will shine among them like stars in the shine in the in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then i will be able to boast on the day of christ that i did not run or labor in vain but even if i am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith i am glad and rejoice with all of you so you should be glad and rejoice with me. Oh, there's so many words there, so many words that I need to take on board. Argue, grumble, do I do that? Yeah, I do, I'm sorry to say, I confess to you folks this morning. Do you argue and grumble? Is your life an example? Are you shining like a star? That's what we're called to do. I wonder if we were to put a chart on the wall and show each person's humbleness. If we were to mark each other, how many would you mark? I could look around in our congregation and I've got to say some people I would mark really highly. Some people I might not mark very highly uh, for being humble. Where would I put myself on the chart? Where would you put me on that chart? We're called to be humble. And the reason we're called was what Paul is what Paul said there. If we're humble in the world, people will see who we are, that we're followers of Jesus, that we care about the gospel, that we care about the name of Jesus, and people will see our faith through that humbleness. Oh, that we so humble, that we listen to other people that we care for other people, we care for each other. We're not stabbing each other in the back, we're encouraging and loving one another to excellence so that other people might be stars as well. How would you rate yourself in humility against the rating of Jesus? This was his rating and I'm just gonna finish with that verse that we read earlier. He who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Friends, my prayer for myself this week is that people will see me 
my humbleness will see me as being humble and I realise I've got a lot of work to do to get to that point. And I pray my prayer for you this week is that as individuals and as a church, people outside will see our humbleness, will be drawn to the Saviour, will be drawn to Jesus, who just illustrated, who just lived that life that we so long to follow. Dare we call ourselves Christian? Christian means Christ-like, in Christ. Dare we do that? Or do we need to make some changes? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word. Thank you that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And that message was for them, but it's also recorded in scripture for us to learn from. And I pray that we will learn humility. We will learn that way to be like Jesus, who gave himself for each one of us on the cross at Calvary. Bless us this morning. Thank you. And we look so forward to getting together again next week and celebrating our faith together. Bless each one of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.